if we were to conduct a poll asking people who they thought might be the, the most holy or, or the most good person that they could think of, many people might offer the name Billy Graham. Uh, maybe some other person, a family member, or someone that they highly respect and, and highly admire. But the most common answer would probably be Anjeja Gonja Bojaju, who was born August the 26th of 1910. You may be thinking to yourself, I have no idea who you just said. And I'll be honest, I have no idea if I pronounced her name correctly. Because we better know her as Mother Teresa. Now, Mother Teresa had no biological children, but she was a, a mother to many who were motherless. She took a vow of chastity, of poverty, of obedience. She gave a vow to give wholehearted free service to the poorest of the poor. And Mother Teresa has often been viewed as a saint of a woman. If there was ever anybody who was good, then she was it. I mean, after all, she, she gave all that she had of herself in service to the poor and to the outcast. But even Mother Teresa needed a Savior. The Bible says that our righteousness is as filthy rags before a holy God. And so even the person that we might put forward as, as the standard bearer of being good wasn't good enough. So what does that say for you? And what does that say for, for me? I'm the worst sinner that I know. Paul said the same thing. What it means is that, that we need a Savior as well. We need someone to, to do what we are unable to do and to be what we are unable to be, which is where we come in our passage this morning. As we continue our series called On the Mountains, we're looking at these mountaintop experiences in the life and in the ministry of Jesus. We see these significant moments, these significant events that took place in his life that occurred on the mountains. And today we come to a very special day in the life of Jesus from his childhood. A day that we find his, his mother Mary and his father Joseph bringing Jesus to the Temple Mount there in Jerusalem to present him and to consecrate him before the Lord. So if you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to the book of Luke chapter 2. I want to read verses 21 through 32. The Word of God says, When the eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived. And when the days of their purification according to the law of Moses were finished, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Just as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what's stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. 
And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. As we study this passage today, I want us to examine two things from this passage, the purity of Jesus and the promise of Jesus. And so the first thing that we see in our passage is the purity of Jesus. In verse 21, Luke tells us that when eight days had passed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, when you think about the four Gospels, they were written by four separate authors and written for four separate audiences. And, and Luke wrote his Gospel for a Gentile audience. And much of what he's describing here in this, these opening verses would have been foreign to his readers. They weren't familiar with all of the, the Jewish customs and the Jewish laws and the Jewish rites uh, surrounding circumcision and, and purification. And so Luke here is going out of his way in these first few verses to show how everything that was happening occurred according to the law. You see him repeating that phrase just as it is written in the law of the Lord. And so why did he do that? Why is it important? Uh, for a lot of the, the Gentile audience, it would have been like, okay, well, so what? And maybe that's what you're thinking in, in your mind right now is, okay, it was according to the law. I mean, so what? But these details are very important in the life of Jesus because it means that Jesus completely fulfilled the law. Back in the Old Testament book of Genesis in chapter 17 and verses 9 through 11, the Bible says that God said to Abraham, as for you, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations are to keep my covenant. And this is my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you, which you are to keep. Every one of your males must be circumcised. You must circumcise the flesh of your foreskin to serve as a sign of the covenant between me and you. And so this was God's command to his people, Israel. It was to be a sign of them being set apart from all of the other surrounding nations. And it was a, a sign of their consecration unto the Lord. This happened on the eighth day after the boy was born. There was this week of, of purification. Then on the eighth day, there was circumcision. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul reminds us that Jesus was born of a woman, born under the law. And so this act here showed us that Jesus was of the house of Israel, that he was set apart in covenant relationship with the Father. And so in his circumcision that, that Luke highlights here at the beginning of this passage, Jesus is fulfilling the Old Testament law. Now connected with this rite of circumcision would have been the naming of the child. And Luke is, is very clear to point out that this name that was given to the boy 
was from heaven. He says that he was named Jesus, the name that was given by the angel before he was conceived. And when you look in Matthew's gospel, we see that an angel appeared to both Mary and to Joseph and told each of them to name the boy Jesus. Now, Jesus is the the Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua. And Joshua would have been a very popular name in those days. It's a very popular name in these days. But Joshua was, was a hero among the Jews. And so there would certainly have been other little boys who were named Yeshua. But there is great meaning in this child's name. The angel says in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21 that she'll give birth to a son and you're to name him Jesus because, he says, he will save his people from their sins. And so he wasn't named Jesus because they liked the sound of the name or because they had all J names in their family. He was, he was to be named Jesus because he was going to be like the great deliverer Joshua of the Old Testament. Just as Joshua saved the people from physical slavery, Jesus is the greater Joshua who's going to save the people from spiritual slavery. As Joshua led the people into the promised land, Jesus is going to lead his people to the eternal promised land, into heaven. And so the angel commanded his parents to name the boy Jesus. They obeyed this command from the Lord. And so even in his name, Jesus was obedient to the word of God. His name was revealing his mission As you continue down through the passage, you come to verse 22, and it says, When the days of their purification according to the law of Moses were finished, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Now, this would have taken place 40 days after the birth of the child, according to Leviticus 12. There was the the one week uh, where there was a a purification that took place. On the eighth day, they would have circumcised him and, and given him a name. And then there was 33 more days. And so after the 40 days, they would have come up before the temple to present him there. And it's a a time of purification for the mother. It's a time to dedicate now this firstborn to the Lord. In Exodus chapter 13 and verse 11 and 12, we see this command. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and to your fathers, and he gives it to you, you are to present to the Lord every firstborn male of the womb. All firstborn offspring of the livestock you own that are males will be the Lord's. And so the the idea behind this Old Testament command is that this firstborn male would be set apart unto the Lord. This firstborn male would be a a priest unto the Lord. And what Jesus is to us is the high priest who makes sacrifice for the people and who intercedes on our behalf. Jesus makes a sacrifice for our sins one time for all time. And he is unlike the priests who are ministering every day in the temple. He is the great high priest for his people. And in his consecration here, Jesus is, again, fulfilling the law. And he's revealing to us his mission as the high priest for the people of God. When you come to verse 24, 
we see some instructions about the sacrifice that they made during this time of consecration. It says they came to offer a sacrifice according to what's stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now when you go back and look at the law in the book of Leviticus about what they were supposed to do when they came to this time of of dedication, Leviticus chapter 12 verse 8 gives us some instructions. It says, if she doesn't have sufficient means for a sheep, she may take two turtle doves or two young pigeons, one for a burnt offering, the other for a sin offering. Then the priest will make atonement on her behalf and she will be clean. And so here in Luke's gospel, he tells us that the offering that Joseph and Mary made was, according to the law, two pigeons or two doves, which means that, that their offering is the offering of the poor. It's the offering for those who couldn't afford to make the sacrifice of a lamb. This is their alternative. And so it, it's reinforcing what we already know about this young couple, Joseph and Mary, that they're young, that they're poor, but it doesn't prevent them from being obedient to the Lord. And in this sacrifice that's made here, again, Jesus is fulfilling the law. But when you look back in Leviticus, we see that the sacrifice is supposed to be a lamb. But Mary didn't have one for the sacrifice. She couldn't afford a lamb. But what she didn't fully understand yet is that the lamb was resting in her arms. Just like when Abraham climbed to the top of Mount Moriah with his son Isaac, he asked his dad, where's the lamb for the sacrifice? Mary doesn't have a lamb for the sacrifice either, but Jesus is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he's revealing to us here that we don't have to have money for this salvation. It is the free gift of God for all who will believe. And on this occasion, she offers two birds to make her clean, but Jesus is going to make her clean forever. And Jesus serves as the Lamb of God who takes away our sins because of his purity. He had to be a righteous sacrifice. He, he had to fulfill the law perfectly or he couldn't stand as a substitute for us on the cross. He could have no sin, no spot, no blemish. And Luke here points out his absolute obedience And this makes Jesus our perfect sacrifice for sin. And this is good news. It's good news for Mother Teresa. It's good news for you. It's good news for me. Because we don't come close to fulfilling the law. We can't be holy as our God is holy. Each of us has sin in our hearts that that separates us from God. And without an atoning sacrifice, we would be lost and hopeless in our sins. We needed God to intervene. We needed God to act on our behalf. We needed God to, to save us. And God in his mercy sent his only begotten son, Jesus, to do what we couldn't do. And because of the the purity of Christ, he was able to serve as the perfect 
sacrifice for you and for me. And through faith in his death and in his resurrection, we can be forgiven of our sins, we can be cleansed by the blood of the lamb, and then we are credited his righteousness and are declared clean before God. You see, the purity of Jesus matters. The second thing that we see in this passage of Scripture is the promise of Jesus. As Jesus was brought there to the Temple Mount and was dedicated in the temple, God raised up witnesses to testify to this child. Now, we're able to to look back and to see how Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law as we read through the Gospels, but we learn how he could serve as our, as our substitute there on the cross. But at this point, when Jesus was still a, a young baby, the people were looking forward to the promise of the Messiah, looking forward to the fulfillment of that promise by God. But on this day in the temple, God is revealing that the promise was being fulfilled in this baby boy. And the first one to realize it is Simeon. Simeon is a a man of of old age, Luke tells us. He's a a resident of Jerusalem who was known for his piety. In verse 25 it says this man was righteous and devout. And so everybody knew that Simeon was a man who loved God. Everybody knew that Simeon was a man who, who lived for God. He was a man who was, who was waiting and waiting and hoping earnestly for the Messiah to come. He was the kind of guy that when he spoke, people listened to him. And so in, in verse 25, it says that he was looking forward to Israel's consolation and the Holy Spirit was on him. We're told that Simeon had received a promise from God that he would not die until he saw the Messiah with his own eyes. And the sense that you get from this passage is that maybe the people were beginning to wonder if that was ever going to happen. That Simeon's sort of getting up there in age at this point. But on this day, the hope of Israel was brought into the temple courts for dedication. And when Simeon saw him, he knew In verse 27, it says, he he came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms, and he blessed God. All of the promises of God were wrapped in swaddling clothes, and Simeon held him up, and he said, this is the one that we've been waiting for. This is the one that we've been longing for. This is our hope. I mean, can you imagine this beautiful picture that Luke is describing? A man that was getting old, who was waiting for years and years and years for the Messiah to come. This man with long white hair and a long white beard holding this bouncing baby boy in his wrinkled and feeble hands. I'm sure that there are tears streaming down his face as he looks eyeball to eyeball with the consolation of Israel. 
This man whom death hung over because he would not die until he saw the Christ, now he says he can die in peace. He has peace because of his faith in the promise of God. He has peace because of his faith in this child that's in his arms. He says in verse 29 and 30, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Wow. I wonder if you have that same sort of peace in your heart this morning. Say, I'm ready. I'm ready to go now because my salvation is settled. Luke reveals something to his readers about the promise of Jesus. And that is that this promise can be yours too. can be my promise because it was received by a man here, Simeon. In the very next passage, you see that it was received by a woman named Anna. In verse 32, Simeon says that this Christ would be a, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, the glory of your people Israel. And so this promise was received by Jews and by Greeks. It was received by those who were advanced in years. It was received by little children. And it can be received by you today as well. It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter your gender. It doesn't matter your ethnic background. Jesus is your only hope and salvation. He is the promised one who came down to save us from our sins. And there might be some here today who need to put their hope in Jesus what we have learned is that he is the, the pure, perfect Lamb of God who, who died as the sacrifice for our sins. He is the promise of eternal life to all who would believe in him by faith to save them. And so this morning, the Holy Spirit may be convicting you in your heart to say, I recognize that I have sinned against God and that my sin separates me from God and I can't be holy enough. If Mother Teresa isn't good enough, then I'm certainly not good enough. And I need Jesus to save me. The good news is that he's the pure, spotless, perfect Lamb of God who died on the cross to atone for your sins and for mine, who was raised from the dead to give us victory and life and salvation through all who would put their faith in him to save them from their sins. And this morning, that can be true in your heart. And so if that's what the Lord is speaking into your life this morning, I want to encourage you to pick up your phone and text the word DECIDE to the number 865-234-3241. We want to talk with you about what it means to know Jesus, what it means to follow after Jesus, what it means to be forgiven of your sins. And so pick up your phone right now and text DECIDE to that number so that we can be in touch with you and talk with you about about the Lord. Christians today, we have been challenged by these faithful followers of God in our passage. You have a young couple, Joseph and Mary, who in verse 39, we, it says that they performed everything according to the law of the Lord. This young couple who are being obedient, who are being faithful. 
makes us ask the question, am I being faithful? Am I being obedient? You have Simeon, you have Anna, who are faithfully seeking after God, who are faithfully waiting on the Lord. Maybe you find yourself at this moment waiting on the Lord. The Bible tells us over and over that God is faithful. And so will we continue in faithfulness to him as we wait? We're reminded in this passage of Scripture that when we fall short, that we have the perfect Savior in Jesus who forgives us and who saves us. And there is no better news than that this morning. So maybe today you need to spend some time in prayer asking the Lord to forgive you for the ways that you have sinned against him, the ways that you have fallen short. And today we can trust and know that we have a Savior who is faithful to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness because of his purity and because of the promise that he made to us. So let's bow our heads together for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this time in your word, for this time of worship. And God, I pray today, Lord, for any that, that don't know you as their Lord and as their Savior in their hearts, God, that today that they would repent of their sin and turn from their sin and call on Jesus to put their trust in his death on the cross, his resurrection, to be their sacrifice, to be their forgiveness, to be their life, to be their salvation, that they would follow him as the Lord and King of their hearts. God, I pray for Christians this morning that have already made that decision in their life. Lord, as we look over our hearts, we may recognize that there are areas of sin, areas that we need forgiveness, and Lord, we're thankful that we have Jesus who was absolutely pure, who is our promise and our hope, and that we're not resting in our own righteousness, but in the righteousness of Jesus. May we come before him today seeking forgiveness, Lord, seeking, uh, Lord, just uh, your, your continued faithfulness and goodness in our hearts. And Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.